Do y'all hear that beat? I'm just having some fun. But in all seriousness, this is going to be a place for real conversation, to listen and to be a part of a different dialogue within our organization. I am partnering with two of the most wonderful people at Walden, Dr. Denise Boston and the amazing Molly Raymond, to present to you the podcast playlist for the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So without further ado, let's go. Hello and welcome to the inaugural podcast for the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. I'm so honored to be here today and afforded the opportunity to interview Walden's Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Dr. Denise Boston. My name is Molly Raymond. I am the Associate Director of Community Engagement for Social Change in the Center of Social Change. And we have a series of questions today to go through, and this is an opportunity for us as an audience to get to know Dr. Boston a little bit better, a little bit about her background and her vision for the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. She is such a welcome person, voice, and I'm so happy to be able to get to know her better and be able to offer that opportunity for um, the rest of our Walden community. So we'll just jump right in if that's okay, Dr. Boston. Yes, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much. Great. So before coming to Walden, you were the Dean of Diversity and Inclusion at California Institute of Integral Studies. And before that, you served primarily as a professor. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, I was a, a full professor in the counseling program and the department was the Expressive Arts Therapy Program. And so my background um, includes uh, um, an undergraduate degree in theater uh, from the North Carolina School for the Arts. Well, now it's called the University of North Carolina School for the Arts. Um, and I was really excited about bridging the, 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 the two fields of counseling and um, the arts as a way of healing. So I started doing a lot of work around expressive arts therapy, which is a field of study. And um, students come in um, who either have a background in the arts, whether it's music, dance, uh, visual arts, poetry, uh, theater, um, all kinds of different arts backgrounds, or they had an appreciation for the arts and wanted to utilize the arts as a way of being a counselor uh, with children, families, youth, community. So that's my background as far as bringing the arts together with counseling psychology. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, thanks for giving us that um, the bit of information about the expressive arts therapy and using that for healing. It's a really interesting amalgamation of uh, approaches. So, um, but I think that there's an opportunity to kind of come back to that a little bit, but, um, you know, in thinking about your transition into the official role of a diversity and inclusion um, professional, wondering what it was that galvanized you toward mm -hmm. that role from, you know, moving from a professor in that work mm -hmm. into, into that new role at the university. 
Well, I, I think I've always, um, as, a, as an educator, because um, I've started teaching about 30 years ago. It's been a long time since I've been in the classroom. I've been teaching many different levels, undergraduate, master level, doctoral level students, uh, psychology courses. But in the course of me working as an educator, I've always been very um, cognizant of the role that culture played in healing, in us understanding ourselves as human beings. And um, I've always talked about in, in the work that I've done in the community, what it means to be included. And so uh, a healthy person is a person who feels appreciated and included in whatever venues that they're in, whether you're in the classroom, whether you're in the workspace, uh, whether you're in the community, um, people who feel good about themselves, and there's a lot of research around this, have a real good sense of self-worth that, that stems from feeling affirmed and valued. And so I bring that concept into the leadership that I'm in and the way in which I became the Dean of Diversity. I was the first Dean of Diversity and Inclusion at my previous university because of the work that they saw me do in my expressive arts therapy program where I, um, with the support and the collaboration with the chair of the expressive arts therapy program, we redeveloped our curriculum to speak to what it means to be have an inclusive pedagogy as professors and how does it have an impact on student access, um, student retention and student success. And so the president of the university saw the work that we did. It took us five years to transform all of our classes, all of our courses, to really um, stand in, in a competency place of a, a cultural humility in the ways in which we look at mental health care, the way we look at education and teaching, and the way students look at research in the ways they will engage with the community as researchers and scholar practitioners. And so the work that we did in transforming our curriculum was noticed by the president. And he said, he asked me, uh, would I lead their diversity effort? He wanted to be more intentional about diversity in the institution. Um, they had many different directors of diversity in the past, but he wanted me to work with the faculty. Most of the diversity work was more student centered. And so with um, a broader sense of diversity um, and inclusion, um, I said yes, because I thought that it would be a wonderful opportunity for me. I, that wasn't the first time for me being in an administrative position. I was the director of student services at another university. Um, and I, had, I was part of a lot of bridge programs for um, undergraduate students coming on board. So I, I had a background in administration, so that wasn't new. Um, I just love being in the classroom. And so I said yes to the offer and uh, worked with the school to infuse diversity as an institutional core value um, that the staff and faculty and students were all a part of. So that's a long answer to the question, but um, I had an opportunity based on what somebody, um, the president saw my work. And I was surprised because, you know, I. Like I said, I loved my classes. Um, I was teaching hybrid classes and I was teaching online. 
um, and to step out of the classroom. But I did make a deal with the president. I said, if I am the, the dean of diversity and inclusion, I would like to continue to teach and I would like to continue to do the research in the field. So I was at the end of a research study when I was asked to, to uh, move into that position. And I completed the research study um, in San Francisco on social and emotional learning in an after-school program and had it published uh, the year after I started taking the position as dean. And so I think it's just a, a seamless transition into looking at diversity and inclusion in a way that's uh, more institutionalized, not just from a programming perspective, but how does the school see diversity and inclusion as a core value that is um, in, integrated in every program, every curriculum, every training, um, policies and procedures. And I had a wonderful opportunity to, to be in that position uh, for about five years at that school. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It's a, a really colorful uh, picture that you've kind of painted for us in terms of the lens in which you see diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I mean, I think a lot, you know, after a while, sometimes those become buzzwords, but you've um, really painted a more holistic picture and thinking about social and emotional, healthy, well-being, self-worth. Um, and I think that thinking about all of those concepts helps, um, helps me at least understand your approach in which um, you're going to, you know, do this work for not just Walden, but um, for, you know, everything that you do um, in your research, et cetera. So thank you for sharing. So um, I'm, I'm curious about, this is kind of a, a, a unique question, um, but I would like to know if there's anything that you can tell us about a mentor or a role model that you've had in your life that helped prepare you to be the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Walden. Wow, that's a, an amazing question. <laughs> I've had a lot of mentors, informal as well as formal mentors in my life. I know I needed, I really felt that I needed to have mentors as a doctoral student. So, um, because I wanted to write with compassion, I wanted to do the research with a sense, a real sense of community and um, humility and sensitivity to the participants of my study. So I, 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 was, I was led to work with um, Dr. Nzinga Cofield Co Kopak. Wow, yeah, yeah, she had a long name. <laughs> um, she was uh, the first African-American to graduate from an, uh, a university that she was in. She graduated like way back in the 60s. Um, and she was an elder uh, that I found in my community that helped me to understand how to bring your true self to your writing and your research. And the, and the way she just uh, was such a, had a passion for students and education, uh, it was so profound for me, her love and her open-mindedness and her, her access, because I went to her and said, I found you, you're living in my hometown and I would love to sit at your knee and just hear the way you do research, and particularly with the African-American community. Um, and that was the community that she did a lot of her writing and her publishing 
was with the African-American community. So I would have to say uh, Dr. Uh, Warfield Kopak um, was a, a, a wonderful mentor. I think when it comes to leadership, hmm, so many people I've watched over the years, they don't even know I was watching them. But I, I feel like compassionate leadership has been something that I've always wanted to uh, to gain that those skills around how do you lead with tenderness? How do you lead with love and um, affirmation? And so I would say being in California helped me to see just how people embodied the whole spirit of relationships um, in work, in, in the way that they uh, collaborated with one another. Um, I, and I'd say that I had a, a great teacher, um, Shoshana Simons. I hope she hears the podcast one day. She was the one that brought me out to California. Uh, she was my teacher at Goddard. And in my class, she said to me, one day we're going to work with each other. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> and um, and she 15 years later, she called me really. 15, it was almost 15 years later, she found me. I was in Washington, D.C., teaching and working. And she says, I'm, I'm, I'm the chair of the Expressive Arts Therapy Program at CIIS. I had never heard of it before. And I would love for you to come out and meet the students and interview for this position. And so her heart spoke to me, how she saw me as a student, how she recognized my my brilliance, you know, as, as a student and, and scholar practitioner when I was learning. Um, and she said, you're teaching me more than you can even imagine. I've never had a teacher say that to me. Um, and so I, I, I really owe a lot of my career to her because she helped me see other students the way she saw me. And that's why I felt feel like I was pretty successful in the classroom as a professor because whether it was a small class of 12 students or with, I was in Korea teaching for several years when my class was 73 students, how do you become a, ten, a teacher that teaches with tenderness and compassion when you have 73 students in your class? Mm -hmm. um, it taught me to do that. It taught me to see each and every student. I would walk up and down the aisles and I would talk to each student and they were surprised. A lot of the students were studying abroad and they would come to Seoul, Korea during the summer to study in my psychology course. I taught there for seven summers, seven years. And um, I, I didn't need to have an interpreter because the students had English as a second language and they were not used to a teacher moving from the lectern to the classroom. I would move away from the lectern and I would be there sitting next to them in chairs. It took about maybe three weeks, it was a six week class. By the third week, they got used to me. But I would say just being around people who knew how to hold students, um, to me taught me a lot about leadership and um, understanding the privilege of what it means to be a professor and what it means to learn at the same time. So I, I'm looking at learning as reciprocal because when she says she learned as much from me as, as I learned from her, I think that that's just uh, transformative for a student to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, 
that's such a brilliant story for so many reasons. And I think one of them being is the lesson of an Im the impact that a mentor can have, a role model, a teacher, a faculty member can have on their students and the people that they're influencing and being a part of. Um, it, it really just is an inspiration, I think, for me, um, but also probably for our audience. So thanks for sharing that. And in thinking about, you know, because that was kind of a dream come true in some ways, right? Where you were like, oh, yeah, right. You're going to call me and we're going to do work together. And then she right. really did. And she really did. Right. Yeah, that's so great. So kind of thinking about, about that, right? So that was, you know, kind of potentially on your wish list. So if we think about your wish list of accomplishments for your first two years. I know you've been in the role for a while now. Um, how many, How long have you been in this role exactly? Oh, maybe about five months now. Not long. Five months. Okay. Yep. So this, and this is in early December. So you can either say for the first year or the first two years. So if you think about this last five months or the first year moving forward, et cetera. So back to the question, which is kind of what's on your wish list of accomplishments for your first one or two years mm. of building the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, something that's brand new for Walden? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I'm just really, really, I can't believe I'm here. I mean, this has come full circle. To graduate from Walden and to be back at a school that I felt, you know, really prepared me for the work that I'm doing now. Um, and I had no idea that I would be back 20 years later. I graduated in 2000. So in 2020, it would be tw 20 years since I walked in, well, I didn't walk in the door. I graduated in 2000. Mm -hmm. I, I started my, my coursework in 1996. And so it's just, you never know where you're gonna be. And I just want people to know that, you know, you have no idea, but a preparation is everything. And I feel like along the way, between the 20 years, I've had so many amazing experiences and opportunities that I said yes to that has prepared me, I hope, um, to do this wonderful work back at the school I graduated from. So in two years, what's my vision? Well, in the first 90 days, I created a strategic plan for myself. And I said, within the first 90 days, I want to take some of the um, some of the goals that I had set as a researcher, and that is to build relationships. What does it mean to build a relationship with the people around you? And so, you know, instead of and, and I, I applied that to my classes. My first day of class, I always use the first session. I invested in the first session of my class for everybody to introduce themselves to us in the classroom to share with us what their passion is about being back in school, um, to share where, what they wanted to do with their degree and how they want to change the world. And that's the same approach that I've used here since I've been here for the last five months at Walden. I wanted to get to know all the constituents I could you know, have a chance to talk with. And I've talked to a lot of people. I started talking with you. You were one of the first people I met in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. We sat down and have a great conversation with one another because, because this position is a new position, I want people to know who I am personally. Who's going to be doing this work with you? Uh, what is my theoretical underpinning? Uh, 
how do I see um, online learning as a place of success for not only the student, but the professor and the staff who works here? And so, and this is brand new territory in so many ways that people are still trying to wrap their heads around distance learning. Um, and I'm a strong proponent of how the access of distance learning really provides opportunities for people who never would have been in a, a brick and mortar classroom. And so I, I, first of all, I want people to know who I am and that's why I wanted this podcast to be uh, one of the areas that will come out of my office is that we'll have a monthly podcast where I will have a chance to do what you're doing with me, and that is interviewing um, fabulous people within our Walden Institution that are behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, around the scenes, you know, so introducing um, our community to the brilliance of, of um, thought leaders we have here in the community. Uh, so that's one thing. Another thing that I I'm, I'm really looking forward to is I just formulated an advisory committee um, that will be working with me to advise my office, the Office of Diversity. And I asked the, the, the deans and the professors and the, and the uh, vice provost to recommend folks across the university that could be part of these, this advisory committee. And I think we have about 40 members of the committee. Uh, we've met three times thus far, and their responsibility is taking a look at the data that we have to inform us of how we will move forward as an institution in looking at and addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do people, what's people's perceptions of being welcomed here? What are people's perceptions of being included, feeling included? Um, every university is really grappling with how they can be more of an inclusive institution. And so you'll see the word inclusive excellence in a lot of mission statements across the country now in universities. Every university is, is looking to do more than what they have been doing. To, instead of being programmatic when it comes to having diversity, where you have a diversity program here and you have an initiative here, the whole idea now as we move in the 21st century and in the next 50 years of many of the other colleges as well as our own, is how do you institutionalize the concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion? How can we see this as something that is not something that is we think about on the side, but something that is part of our conversation in every decision that we make, every course that we teach, every time we speak to um, our, in the service of our students when we're online and talking to them and advising them, how do we see our, our sense of um, purpose? And how do we self-reflect to make sure that we're getting the training that we need in order to have intercultural conversations? Um, conversations across the differences that each of us holds. So I, I see the office getting uh, recommendations based on our research of where we are um, currently and um, being supportive of programs that are already in place that are, have been doing some amazing work at, um, here at Walden. And how does, how does my office support them and mentor them and uh, help them flourish as well. So the first two years, I would, I would see a lot of conversation 
Um, and a lot of us being on the same page and defining what diversity is, defining what equity is, and defining what inclusion is, that we're all on the same page. That's gonna take a couple years. That's not gonna happen overnight. So when you said two years, I'm happy you said two years um, because it's gonna take us that much time to have these intentional conversations in each department, in each program, in each unit. Um, I attend residencies um, and talking to staff and staff meetings. It's gonna be a lot of talking. And as you can see, I, I talk a lot. So it, <laughs> it's part of who I am and it's, it's necessary for the work. Sure. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think really is a, is a comprehensive list, but also a realistic list. And um, so that's helpful. Thank you. Um, do you have any fears about the work that you're that you're approaching and that you're going again to it. It's, it's challenging work. Is there anything you'd be willing to share? Mm. It is extremely challenging. Um, I used to have people say to me at my previous institution in this role, um, they always said, how are you doing? <laughs> and if you could see the look on their face, because you can't see us, but they looked at me as if it's like, you know, oh my God, it's, you know, oh, I feel so sorry for you. How are you doing? Um, because we know that uh, everybody comes to this work in a different levels of understanding about their own sense of what diversity and inclusion means. So if you've never had um, any experience around being with other people other than traveling, a lot of people travel, but are you really present in your travel? Are you really learning the language? Are you really listening to the experiences of the people that you are um, engaging with. And so that's what diversity work is. It's coming out of yourself. It's, it's not thinking about you. It's, it's being truly present uh, with other people so that you can get to know them and, and understand their social experiences. Um, how do we understand young people who've been through Black, um, Black Lives Matter? you know, unless we talk to them. We may see them on TV, we may have our opinions of what that looks like, and we may, you know, have opinions based on not really talking to people. And so I think that it's scary for a lot of people to think that you're gonna make me change. You know, I'm not the diversity police. And I've had that reaction too within this position, not here, but at my previous work, where um, not everybody's on board and there's a lot of resistance to change. And this really demands all of us to be willing to change and to be open to different perspectives, um, not feeling like our perspective is the only perspective, to be open to different ways in which people learn and, and the ways in which people understand um, what the same topic that we're talking about. There's so many ways to, to learn and to listen and to uh, take in some great ideas that's around us. And that's why when you asked about the question about my mentor, that's what I loved about um, Shoshana as, her, as a teacher with me, because a lot of the literature that I brought to the classroom was not part of our reading. 
And she says, you're teaching me so much that I had no idea that there were so many African-American psychological scholars out in the field. And I'm like, oh yeah. And I would bring their published work into the classroom. It was part of what I was writing about. And so she was open to learning and she went to, to read the information that I gave her. She wasn't afraid of taking in information that was about African psychology and African-centered um, therapy. Uh, and she used that as a teacher and she had it for her class when she taught classes. So how can we be more open to the other is uh, a challenge. It's a great challenge. When my mother was um, in, in her retirement stage, you know, the computers were coming into play in, in the world and she was a librarian at NASA in, here at Goddard, um, here in, in outside of Columbia, Maryland. And uh, she was a wonderful librarian there. And when they were transitioning over to um, computers, she says, I, I'm not ready to learn this. I'm, I don't think my spirit is open to this new knowledge. And I'm like, Ma, you'll be fine. Just get mentors around you. You know, you're their mentor. And she says, no, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be pushed out. They're not going to want my, my, my old ways of doing anything. And I said, but you have compassion. You have something to teach them. And um, she couldn't see that. And, and she, she retired. And so all of us have places inside of us that um, prevents us from being open to learning something new, something different. And when we're asking people to be open to diverse perspectives, and diverse cultures and diverse um, social um, challenges, that is huge. So your question is a good question. And, and I think my psychology background has prepared me in many ways to be compassionate mm -hmm. and to be patient when people are struggling and to create opportunities for people to come in. I think a podcast or a webinar is a great opportunity for people to get the, the information in their own homes. They can sit in their living rooms and not be part of a, a group of people having a training session on microaggressions. That's hard, you know, and it's, it, it makes people feel defensive. But when you can learn this in your own home, when you can learn it in the evening as you're, you know, winding down and you're listening to a podcast, and if you're listening to a webinar, it's, it's accessible to you to, to get something that's going to change your life, that's going to help you grow and develop. So yes, it's challenging, but I think it's a great challenge. Mm -hmm. I think it's a worthwhile challenge. And it's, it's, we have to do it for our students. Our students are depending on us to be open and authentic and to be affirming of listening to what they have to offer us. So. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't change my life at this time. I, I love the challenge and I love the opportunity of seeing people transform and grow based on their connections and conversations. Great. Well, you've given us a lot to think about um, the listeners and about humility, being open, connectedness. Um, and we've, I think, already gained so many um, insights from you in the, sh in the short time we've had together. Uh, is there, you know, in our final question, is there anything else that you would like listeners to know about 
about your podcast or why they should listen and tune in, um, you know, to some of your guests that you hope to have? Well, I, I used to do um, something called brown bag conversations um, where I would have the community nominate people within the community for us to hear their stories. I think stories are important for us to learn from each other. And everybody has a wonderful story. I know you have a, I want to have you on my podcast, Molly. Because <laughs> no I, know you have, I know you have a wonderful story about your social change work, how you managed to be in that position. I, I, those stories inspire people. And I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion is about inspiration, not about making us feel guilty about who we are and our privilege and marginalized. I mean, all those are heavy duty words. But I think if you sit down and listen to all types of people, and that's what I would love for the podcast to introduce us to, all the wonderful people who are a part of Walden, all the advisors who are sitting in their cubicles, talking to students all day long, you know, encouraging them to change their lives by coming back to school. Our technicians who make sure that we have computers and technology to connect us to the world, what are their stories? What's the story of our president and his journey of becoming the, the president at the university who graduated from this university? Our stories matter, stories matter. And to me, the podcast series and the podcast that I listen to in my own podcast list um, inspire me to do the work that I do, inspire me to listen and to, to, to join organizations and uh, different aspects of social kind of connections that I would never think about joining. But because it feels like it's something that would be you know, worthwhile for my growth and development, what does it mean to be a lifelong learner? And so I'm, I'm hoping and I'm looking forward to the podcast series. And, and what a better way to start than to have this conversation with you, Molly. This is our launch. Mm -hmm. And who knows where it will be in five years. Somebody else may be interviewing, uh, maybe a student will be interviewing folks. You know, I love to see evolution of ideas. So, yeah, I would love to... Yeah have us all grow with each other, listening to each other's stories. That sounds fantastic. Um, this is really exciting. I'm so excited to have you on board. Again, I know I've said it probably 42 times, but um, I just, I really mean that sincerely. And I think that you bring such a wealth of knowledge and warmth um, that is really going to benefit our entire Walden community. And I'm really looking forward to tuning in to the podcast. I love inspirational stories, um, hoping to do the same at the Center for Social Change and through other channels. So hopefully together we can build, um, you know, more of a cohesive picture about the beautiful and brilliant people that make up our university. So Thank you so much again for inviting me into your inaugural, inaugural podcast and um, yeah, and allowing me to ask questions. I could probably sit and ask another 25 questions, but we'll, we'll stop here. I'm certainly gone over time. So thank you again and um, good luck in the important work that you're uh, going to continue to embark on. Thank you. Thank you so much.